We're your hosts, Alexa and Melissa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. It's your Midwest Mamas, Alexa and Melissa. We are your happy hosts, and we are thrilled that you are here to listen to another conversation with some amazing people around the world. Today, we do want to give you a heads up before you start listening. Our conversation today has some more mature content, and so if you usually listen to our episodes, our convos, with children, um, just out in the open, this might be a good conversation that you either listen to by yourself or you pop in some headphones just based off some of the more mature content. We just want to respect you, respect your family, and give you that heads up and that option. So our interview today was with Dr. Celeste Holbrook. And if you're not familiar with Celeste, she is a sexologist, but she's also a speaker and an author. But she spoke to us a lot about just what that is. What's a sexologist? What does that mean? And how she helps women because she helps women everywhere um, and just gives different tips and ideas on how to have that healthy mindset. And so we're excited to bring you this conversation. Again, it has some more mature language than our typical conversations have had. So please listen in and we hope you enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are just so excited and um, just Alex and I are just so giddy to have a conversation today with Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Can you say hi, Celeste? Hi, everybody. I'm so honored to be here. Yay. We're so, so excited to have you. Yeah, so excited. So, Celeste, can you, um, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you yet, can you just kind of share a brief background of you, just your family, what you do, and just a little bit snippet of you? Sure, sure. Well, I'm a sexologist. I work in sexual behavior and education, and I live in Fort Worth, Texas with my twin girls who are eight and my husband who is an ER doc. So it's a very strange time right now for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of what I do. I work with people one-on-one on on Zoom, uh, like a Zoom interface to help them with their sex lives. And my areas of specialty are low libido, sexual shame, and painful intercourse. I didn't even know there were like different areas. I know. Well, it's not wild. Yeah. <laughs> and is your husband working like crazy hours right now or is he kind of the same as what he was before all of this happened? Yeah. Fortunately for Texas or for our part of Texas, social distancing has been really working well as far as not overloading his particular ER. So it's been pretty, um, I I would say acuity is up. So he's seeing more severe things, um, but he's, the volumes have, you know, been fine. So yeah. How did you become a sexologist? (laughs) It's a great question. I wish that I had some really awesome story like, I was, you know, a stripper or something like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I don't. I I was raised in a kind of a conservative uh, home here in Texas, a conservative community. I waited till I was married to have penetrative sex, although I did a lot of other fun stuff before. Um, And when I did on my wedding day, 
have penetrative sex, it hurt really, really bad. I was, mm-hmm. um, I kind of, I got married at 26. So I was not okay. super, you know, fresh out of the college or anything. Um, yeah. And so I just thought, this is terrible. I waited for this. This is awful. Um, and so our first year of marriage was really hard and I felt a lot of anger toward my partner and a lot of resentment and things like that because of this pain that was supposed Mm -hmm. to be something that was really pleasurable, but it was, I was just starting to feel a lot of resentment and I, I had no idea who to talk to about this, like no idea. And I hadn't really learned anything about how to handle these situations because I grew up in kind of a conservative environment. So I was pretty naive. I didn't know like some of the very basic things like use a lubricant and things like that. So um, I ended up going to my OB-GYN after a year um, and just saying like, this is what's going on. Can you please help me? I think something's wrong with my vagina. Like maybe it's just like rusty and I mm-hmm. waited too long or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and he told me that I should probably just have some kids and that that would fix it. And that was not great advice. <laughs> yeah. Have some kids. Oh my God. Yeah. Word. That fixes things. Right. Right. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're like newlyweds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I wasn't even planning, like kids were not even on my radar. We were both in grad school. Like it was just not, you know, not a time. And, and truth be told, I needed more than just like a well-stretched vagina. I needed somebody to tell me about arousal and about why low libido happens and what to do about it and why I was feeling so angry at my partner whenever he reached out to you know, even just touch me in a, in a very non-sexual way. Right. Um, and so I just decided that I was going to have to get be the help that I needed. And so I, I was already getting a PhD in health education. So I started specializing in sexuality and just learned what I needed to learn in order to help me feel better. And Mm -hmm. after about a, a year of really intense looking into what was going on, I realized it was probably like the, trauma of being told things like I was going to go to hell for having sex before I was married and things like that was actually causing my pain. So it wasn't, Mm. it wasn't anything necessarily physical. It was, um, it was things in my head. And so once I dealt with those messages, sex actually got better, which is really, really wild. (laughs) And so I figured if I could do it, if I could help myself, I could probably, there's got to be somebody else out there with this problem too. So um, that's how my career started. Wow. That's crazy. And so how many years ago, how long have you been doing this now? Yeah. Um, I've been in in my own practice since 2013, but I started studying sexuality in 2010 or 2009. Yeah. And so your early stages of all of this, like, you know, trying to specialize in things like that, were you seen besides your OBGYN, were you seen a sexologist as well? Did you reach out to find a sexologist or did you know to do that? No, I didn't have any idea there were people out there like me Yeah, <laughs> who did what I did. I honestly, I just took um, a behavioral approach because I was already studying, you know, mm-hmm. behavior. And so I thought, well, sex is a behavior just like anything else. Like there's got to be ways that I can figure mm. this out on my own. So I just took a behavioral approach and So then I, you know, went through the systems. I learned about anatomy. I learned about what my pleasure 
anatomy looked like and felt like. And I learned how to um, understand my own body. Then I started, uh, so that's anatomy. Then I started studying the social aspects, like what were the messages I was holding on to that sex Mm -hmm. was wrong or dirty or dangerous that I needed to kind of work through, you know? So I just took it kind of one piece at a time to renovate how I felt with and dealt with the idea of sex. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, like, when you tell people, like, I'm a sexologist, or Mm -hmm. maybe you've just heard in passing, like, what would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions about your job? Or maybe just rude comments, you know, like, I feel like (laughs) it's not just a typical job that you hear most people, you know, talk about openly. And so I'm just wondering, like, if you've heard those, you know, Mm -hmm. misconceptions, or just those negative comments, what's some of those? Yeah, um, well, I'm really careful, <laughs> like when I am on a plane, for example, here's a, here's a good example. I was on a plane flying somewhere and there was a man next to me and he was trying to strike up a conversation and I was trying to like put on my headphones and like not talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but he, he wasn't was, getting oh, the hint. <laughs> he was not. And so he's like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a sexologist. And he said, oh, that's so hot. What's your favorite position? And I looked at that guy and I said, CEO. And I put on my headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my Lanta. So I know. So there's some, you know, for the vast majority of people I come across, though, um, it's just like, oh, interesting. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how exactly what misconceptions there are, probably because I don't don't really ask but uh, it's one of those things that's like a an uh in my opinion a equal a great equalizer like no matter who you are you're probably Mm. engaging in sex at some point no matter how much money you have or where you come from or what culture you're from most people have sex and so it feels like a great equalizer I can go into a very conservative community and talk about sex I'm going to a very, you know, like a polyamorous community and talk about sex. Like it's yeah. very universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. So what do people come um, to you to see like most often when people come to see you, what would they be coming to see you for most often? The vast majority of my clients are coming to see me for things like low libido and low arousal. Like, oh, I just don't want to have sex anymore. I wish I mm-hmm. never had to have sex or it feels like a chore. It feels like an obligation. Like mm-hmm. the, by far what I see the most. And then, um, and then probably secondarily painful sex, mm-hmm. um, which turns into low libido because who wants to have sex when it hurts? Right. Um, so those are the, probably the two biggest ones. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, and you don't have to like get all into, you know, like what you would say during those sessions and all the different tips or, you know, things that you would tell someone, but can you share just if one of our listeners is listening and they're like, you know what, that's me. Like Mm -hmm. I have low arousal or, you know, like, yeah, it does kind of feel like a chore. Like, is there just some simple tips? I don't know. Or, you know, something that you would just suggest to them. Yes. So there's a couple of things to think about when, if you consider yourself low libido or low arousal, um, and I'm probably going to use the term arousal because that is more, a little bit more accurate. Um, okay. So if you feel like you don't 
want to have sex or you, you, you never throughout the day think, oh, I hope we're going to have sex tonight or I could really go for some sex right now. Like that's not something that is familiar to you for the majority of your days. <laughs> then I would say it's, I would say first, there's one thing that kills arousal more than anything else. And that is responsibility. Responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. So that's why sex can make babies and babies often mean the end of sex. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. Because babies are so, take so much of our responsibility tank, right? So arousal and eroticism are playful and carefree and liberated. And you kind of have to, it's like the unknown, right? Whereas responsibility is planned and safe and, um, controlled. Uh, so they are opposite of each other and they don't play well together. So when you think about the responsibilities in, in your life, those are probably the things that in part are keeping you from accessing arousal and eroticism at nighttime, because you have to do this whole mental gymnastics when you're in bed, like, okay, focus on what's happening now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, Stop yeah. thinking about the laundry and the dishes and all of the things, you know, if you've ever been in bed at night and been, you know, laying there looking up at the ceiling and your partner's trying to start something and you're thinking, you know what, I think I need to paint the ceiling linen instead yeah. of cotton. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, those, it might be time to think about how to compartmentalize the responsibilities in your life so you can find freedom in your brain to access arousal. So that would be the first thing. Responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. And okay. even just knowing that or validating that for yourself, like, oh, there are reasons why I don't want to jump in bed with my partner is, is probably the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say about arousal specifically is that there's two different types. And this is work from Emily Nagoski in Come As You Are. So the first type of arousal is spontaneous arousal. And that's the type of arousal that we typically think of when we see sex happening, say, on TV. Um, it, that is like, oh, I feel like having sex. So I go seek out sexual behavior, right? Mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel horny, so I go seek out sexual behavior. Um, <laughs> that's spontaneous arousal. And that's typically what we think about. Yeah. But we know that a large majority of people who identify as female have responsive arousal, which is I feel aroused once sexual behavior has begun. Mm, so gosh. that means, yeah, you could go huh. a long time without really thinking that you want sex out of the blue. But once mm -hmm. sex begins or once you have like reduced the, the amount of responsibilities in your brain like you're on vacation, right? And sex kind of begins, then like, oh, your body's like, oh yeah, I like this. I remember, I like this. I want, I want this, right? Mm -hmm. So responsive arousal is something that a lot of people experience, but feel badly about because it doesn't look like the type of arousal that we typically see on TV. And because we don't watch each other's sex lives, like we watch each other drive and do every other behavior on the history of man. Yeah. <laughs> Our only information about sex is from things like TV and pornography and that kind of thing, which tells yeah. us not honest things, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, that totally makes sense. responsive and spontaneous. And they're both fine. They're both just great. Mm -hmm. huh. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm just like thinking through all these things like, yeah, uh-huh. you're right. <laughs> yeah. So but the point is maybe remove your responsibilities, ask for help, ask your partner for help so you can really show up in the bedroom and then start and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm going to give this five minutes and see if we can make out and kiss all over each other and maybe put some candles on so it's not overhead lighting, but not dark and put some <laughs> favorite music on and, you know, if things, you know, begin to warm up after a few minutes or, or five minutes or 10 minutes, then, you know, you're just experiencing responsive arousal. So things just need to kind of start before your arousal will show up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so what is one of the most rewarding parts of being a sexologist or maybe what, and on the flip side, is there something (laughs) that's really difficult about your job? Hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely the most rewarding part of being a sexologist is that I am honored with people's darkest secrets, really. Um, I like that. Every day somebody says, I've never told anybody this before. (laughs) And that's an honor I do not take lightly. Um, and so that's probably one of the most rewarding parts is just being, that space where somebody can say the hardest things to say and I get mm-hmm. to hold I get to hold that for them which is really really nice um and beautiful um a difficult part of my job is probably explaining what I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and I walk this funny line between um a Christian community I do I am a person of faith I'm um, and a sexology community and neither of them play well together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an, it's an interesting hard line to kind of walk, but I feel really, um, motivated to bring the two communities together more because I feel like they're far more, um, compatible than people want to think they are. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what would you say feeling worthy has to do with having a healthy sex life? Okay, so this is a big one. (laughs) Um, And we often don't maybe put the two together or think about them much. But for the most part, and I'm speaking specifically for women, people who identify as female. For the most part, women are, society wants us to remain in one of two spaces sexually. Either we are pure and we don't, we're like kind of unsexual motherly creatures or we are, or we need to be explicit and vixens and, you know, a lady in the, a lady in the street and the freak in the bed. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yes. Um, the world wants us to to put ourselves in one of or one of these buckets, either or, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to walk down the middle and say, I, you know, I love Jesus and I really love orgasms. That's a hard sentence for people to express out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or I, you know, am an an amazing mother and I give great head. It's hard, <laughs> right? It's hard yeah. for us to walk down the middle. And so feeling worthy means we get to step out. I feel good enough about myself to step out of those black and white buckets and right down the middle that's 
that's difficult and messy and there's no clear boundaries. Nobody's telling me how to act or what to do, but I am developing my own way sexually and my own sexual identity and feeling worthy is feeling worthy enough to kind of step out of the roles that society has defined for us and make our, create our own sex life. Um, And once we do that, when you can feel worthy in the most vulnerable part of your life where you are literally naked and literally in your most vulnerable space, if you can ask for what you want, need and desire in that space, you best be sure you can ask for a raise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's how worth like grows fingers into these other in sexuality grows fingers into these other aspects of life. I like that. That's so interesting and, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just have so many thoughts. I know. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your thoughts. Well, it I just, you sense. know, like how you were talking, like how it's hard to say those sentences. Like, why do you think that is? And I mean, you've been doing this for, you know, studying, you said for about 10, 11 years. Like, do you feel like it's getting better where women are feeling more comfortable to like, say like, I'm a Christian, but I also like this. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel like there's a change over time or why is it that it's so hard for women to walk that middle line? Yeah, I do think it's getting better. There was a big push in the like late 80s, 90s for what we would consider purity culture. And for people who didn't grow up in this way, this would sound foreign. Um, (laughs) but for you to, um, kind of like an abstinence only programming in through evangelical systems, evangelical church systems. Um, prior to that, things had been a little bit better, honestly. And we kind of go in these little waves at the very least, people weren't being told anything about sex, um, instead of something negative about sex, um, Mm -hmm. like sex was dangerous, right? Um, So I do feel like it is getting better, but I think it is hard because there are no clear definitions for what, you know, uh, what Alexa's sexuality should look like versus what Melissa's sexuality should look like versus what Celeste's sexuality should look like, right? We want to be put, like, we feel really comfortable with these hard lines, like, oh, these sex acts are okay, but these are not. And so Mm. um, the Puritans, you know, gave us as women lots of restriction on what was appropriate and what was not. And it just, it it just hung on. (laughs) And we can have a whole semester's worth on this topic. But I think that is why in a nutshell, it is so hard for us to walk down the middle and I'm doing my best to break open those buckets and allow women to find what works for them in the glittery middle. (laughs) It's not black and white. It's glitter in the middle. (laughs) I like it. Glitter in the middle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I get kind of soapboxy. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. Well, and I feel like this question kind of goes along with it. So um, was it a year ago maybe that you were on Jen Hatmaker's podcast? Yeah, yeah, just about a year. So when I listened to it, she mentioned um, about how you said that the brain is the biggest sex organ. So Mm -hmm. can you just talk to us about that and how... And you've kind of mentioned about, you know, that responsibility, you know, how does the brain influence your sex life? Yeah. So 
<clears throat> when we talk about creating a sex life that feels really great for you personally, uh, we start with the word framing. So in order to feel liberated enough to experience arousal, we have to frame our experience. So, so that means making the environment, whether mentally or physically, um, available for you to liberate into arousal. So the brain is the biggest sex organ because it can block that, it can shut down, or it can release. So, so arousal always starts in the brain. Like your brain says, yes, this is available to us, or no, it's not. So mm. this influences your sex life. For example, if you're told growing up that you should wait until you're... <laughs> Sorry, my dog is scratching. Stop, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so if you are told your whole life to wait until marriage till you have sex because you're going to go to hell or sex is going to be better if you do, you're inherently being told that the, the idea that sex is dangerous. And so yeah. your brain holds on to that, right? So your brain is trying to protect you and keep you safe. So at some point when you do engage in sexual activity, your brain still has that message. Sex is dangerous. So it's going to shut down the body. Hmm. It's going to shut down the body. And like, you're not going to get aroused as easily or sex might be painful or um, it just shuts down. It's basically fear or fear. It's a fear response. So if sex is dangerous, I'm going to shut down every non-essential system like your sexual, you know, pleasure systems. And so that I can be able to flee, but it's just a perceived threat. It's not real. Sex is not actually dangerous, especially if, you know, if you're in a consensual loving and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so your brain has the possibility of shutting your arousal systems down in your body um, simply because of messages it was told for a long time ago, unless we address them. So the brain, that's just kind of one example the, of how the brain is the biggest sex organ because it tells your body go or don't go <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yes, this is good or no, we still have dishes in the sink. So we're going <laughs> to let you think about all of those before we think about your, you know, sensations in your clitoris or anything like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. So something else you do is you are a speaker and you speak everywhere. So, and you speak to different types of people, different groups of people, um, like small group presentations, you speak at churches or a keynote speaker or couples workshop. How do you connect with your audience and do you find your audience connecting more with you in these types of settings or more like one-on-one? -on -one? Um. So I'll, I'll answer your first question first. How do you connect with an audience? Um, we talked earlier about how sex is very universal and mm -hmm. there's very few people out there being willing to say the hard words. Like I'm comfortable standing in front of a church setting or a, you know, or a sex toy store and saying the words clitoris and vulva and penis and anus and all of these things. And mm -hmm. when you are able to do that, it helps the whole audience go, oh, okay, this is okay. We're all okay here. You know, like yeah. these are things that are hard for me, but you are, you know, you know, taking that first step into it. So connecting with an audience about sex, in my opinion, isn't, isn't as hard because we are all just waiting for somebody to go there first. <laughs> yeah. Um, because all of us struggle at some point or another with our sex life. Every, yeah. Everybody does. Everybody does. And there is st 
stigma and shame around struggling when it mm. should be normalized. Like everybody yeah. struggles, everybody struggles and it's okay, you know? And so when you have somebody who's willing to talk about it first, I'm very open about my story about, you know, struggling with pain, then it's helpful to say like, oh, okay, well, you know, she's going there first. Like maybe I can start to think about what that means to me. Yeah. 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 Does that answer your question? It did. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I'm I'm so glad that you're, you know, on our show so we can share your words with our listeners, because I feel like we probably do have a lot of listeners who are afraid to talk about this or, you know, in public or because sex is hard to talk about. Um, and you know, talking more about it with your friends and, and, you know, getting advice from people and stuff. I think it's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, my friends know now that I will ask them about their sex life. You know, I, I feel like it's a conversation we should have, like, you know, you know, Hey, Melissa, how's your daughter doing? Like, that's a normal conversation we would have. You know, I heard, I remember she was struggling with this and this. Um, why are we not having among girlfriends talks about like, Hey, listen, I'm really struggling with libido this week or this month or this (laughs) 10 years. Like, like, can we talk about it? Or I just need to tell somebody that I'm struggling. And yet we don't do it because there's, because again, we have terrible comprehensive sex ed. We Mm -hmm. see only righteous sex or like super unattainable sex on TV or rape. It's the only things we see on TV. Like, yeah. yeah, it's either really amazing, you know, Grey's Anatomy, throwing up against the wall, throwing up is right, mm-hmm. <laughs> pushing up against the wall sex, or mm-hmm. non-consensual sex. There's yeah. no boring sex on TV. There's no sex where somebody farts. There's no sex yeah. where <laughs> somebody. No. Yeah. No one on TV ever gets like messy when they get out of bed. No, it's never no. like that. <laughs> it's never like that. There's never like a cup and run to the bathroom. Nope. Never. No. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we need to be talking about this and normalizing these things within our girlfriend systems. I agree. And mm-hmm. so, and you like kind of brought up like boring sex. So what are some ways that people can keep things? Like if you have been married or in a relationship for many, many years, what is something that you are like, you know, maybe try this or maybe, you know, like if people mm-hmm. kind of feel like they are like in a rut, like, all right, we've been, you know, together for 10 years. Like, we know, you know, like probably not nothing new here. Yeah. Yeah. So normalizing that sex is kind of meh a lot of the time is first mm-hmm. the thing. <laughs> like, and that <laughs> that's normal and good. And well, normal is just a cycle on your washing machine, but that's common and that's fine. And if you don't have kind of meh sex, you won't have great sex because you won't know the difference. <laughs> oh. Um, so ordinary sex is great. It's it's helping you feel connected and committed. And, and if that's all it helps you do in that moment, fine. That's fine. You don't have to have like panties on the ceiling, fan twirling around every time you have sex. You just mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> um, so normalizing that like ordinary sex is fine and good. And then, you know, what is it, what is the rep look like for you? Because we always talk about like, well, sex has gotten, you know, after 10 years, sex has gotten boring. 
Well, for one couple, it might be we always have sex in missionary style with the lights off. And for another couple, boring might be, you know, we've we've, you know, burned through all of our bondage sets and we're bored. So (laughs) understanding what quote unquote boring is for you is really important. Like, so you can do that as a couple. And this is a great exercise for your listeners. You can do that as a couple by doing a sexual awareness exercise, even if you've been married for, you know, decades, right? So sex, so you do this sex is dot, dot, dot. And then you each write down all of the things that you feel sex is right now, like all the feelings or um, acts or whatever it is. How would you describe sex right now? Sex is dot, dot, dot. So you do 90 seconds of that. And then you do my dream sex would feel like, and it's really important to focus on emotions here. So my dream sex would feel like, and then you write down all of that. And then you share your lists. So my dream sex would feel like intimate, connected, wild, fun, um, uh, orgasmic, you know, tantric, all whatever it would feel like to you. So then you can work on behaviors that help you feel what you want to feel. So now you know where you are. Sex is dot, dot, dot. This is where you are. You know what you want to feel. I want to feel connected. I want to feel um, out of control. Dot, dot, dot. You know what you want to feel. Now you can start saying, okay, what behaviors help you feel out of control? Well, we've never tried restriction. Like I would like for you to take all the, all the, uh, you know, effort into making me feel good. So what do you feel like if we tried, you know, some ties, some little silk ties or something like that at the bed, and then you kiss all over me and I have no control over the situation, like something new, right? Whereas for another couple, it might be, I want to have, we always have sex in the dark. I want to just try seeing you a little bit. Let's try an electric candle or something like that, you know? Um, so I can feel more intimate. That's because that's on my list of, I want to feel right. So it's just for any couple, it's going to look different, but starting with those two lists is definitely the first place to go because if, because what happens is we start shooting in the dark with behaviors like, well, maybe we should try anal play or maybe we should try like all these sex toys or whatever. But if you don't understand what you want to feel, all the sex toys in the world aren't necessarily going to do the trick. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, and I feel like it just, opens up the communication to like, be like, we're going to talk about this, you know, and maybe you might've had a misconception about what your partner was thinking or what they, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I have, if you go to my website, I have a free download. It's 20 sex enhancing questions that just, that does just that. it. It's oh, very, okay. um, it's different kind of questions to talk to your partner about. Like what is your favorite view during sex or what can I do during the day to help you get more excited about sex at night? Like those types of questions that we don't, aren't taught how to ask each other or what to say. Like the only thing we're ever told to to ask each other about sex is, Hey baby, what do you like? And that can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that 20 sex enhancing questions gives you the tools and a platform to start better sexual communication. I like that. Awesome. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So when people get advice, you know, sometimes they don't follow through with it. Um, They might not follow it or have a hard time following through with what they tell others. Or it could be the opposite. Like the more you learn about things, the more you can put into practice. Do you feel like 
you or your clients fall into these two categories? Um, yeah, I think we all do. You know, mm-hmm. if I think there's a misnomer, like, you know, better, you do better. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I know, <laughs> I know I, sh- I should have gone for a run today, but life got in the way, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing better doesn't necessarily mean you do better. And for sex professionals like us, I was just talking to a colleague of mine who's also, a, she's a sex therapist. And, um, we were just talking about how like our lives, our sex lives are not that different than any other average person's sex life. Like we struggle mm-hmm. with the same things. Granted, we have more education and more communication and yeah. things like mm-hmm. that. And so we can work towards a resolution probably faster. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle. You know, I am very proud of how hard I actually work at my sex life. Um, and to think that sex should be simple or easy just because it is biological, I think is a misnomer. I think Mm. sex is a behavior just like driving a car or sewing or anything like that. And if you don't work at it, you get, it gets worse. And Mm -hmm. the behavior you have to do, or not you don't have to, but you often do with somebody else. And so it takes an added level of communication to make it go the way that you both want to go. So, yeah, I think there's lots of things that we can know. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if we don't work at understanding why we may or may not employ those, you know, the environmental things, the things we were told growing up, the messages we were are believing that need to be lovingly released. If we don't understand why we don't do better then we won't do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That all makes so much sense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just like nice hearing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, and Celeste, we're just so thankful for your time and we'll um, just start to wrap this up. Is there someone right now on social media or maybe an author or another podcaster that you're really enjoying or that you would recommend like, Hey, you should also check them out. You know, like they are great at this or this. Um, I really love, you know, I think you have a lot of mom listeners. I really love, or parents, um, giving the talk on Instagram at, you know, the handle giving the talk and sex positive Mm. families. Both of those are give really great content about, Um, talking to your kids about sex so we can break these cycles of shame and break these cycles of trying to live in one bucket or the other, especially for our kiddos who are going to identify as female. Like we need to have these conversations more for more often sooner and with more education. So those two accounts I would say are really, really fantastic accounts. And I've learned a lot from them certainly as well. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And, and that's something, something where even though our kids are young, you know, like five and under, I am just like, oh, one day we are, you know, like going to have to have the talk. But I feel like it's so much more than just having a one-time conversation. And like you were saying, you know, like having the knowledge ourselves and being able to give them the educational materials and, you know, just all that is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always say that it's not a talk. It's a dialogue that happens early and it matures as they mature. So it's something you're going to talk about a lot, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And it starts with, you know, telling our daughters that they have vulvas, not vaginas, because vulva is what's on the outside, vagina is what's on the inside. 
You know, um, it starts with correct anatomy, vulva instead of tata, because that establishes trust with our children. So you don't, you know, when they are eight or 10 or 12 and say, actually, honey, it's not your tata, it's your vulva. And they go, well, what else is she lying to me about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So starting early with correct genitalia and just going from there. I don't think your kids are too young, actually. <laughs> I think they're really. Yes, absolutely. You can start talking about vulvas and um and penises and you know definitely all those things at this point with a five-year-old for sure yeah and something we like to ask ask our guests as well um how do you like to unwind after a busy day um with nobody touching to me touching me or talking to me (laughs) (laughs) yes that that's a really good thought yes (laughs) Like that is probably the God's honest truth. I, I like to be on my couch alone, um, sometimes with a drink and then for a few minutes, I'm not saying all, all the whole thing, but just a few minutes of like, no talking, (laughs) (laughs) no Um, noise, no noise, nothing. Yes. And sometimes that's the shower. Sometimes that's on the couch. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to read. I like to, I, I binge a little bit Netflix. I'm not too much of a binger, but I do. We watch Westworld now, my husband and I, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a boring answer, but that's, that's hey. the honest truth. I wish I would, it was like, I do um, cucumbers on my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I no. get a pedicure and then I do some yoga. No, that's not <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not me either. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Celeste, we're so thankful for you. Can you just share with our listeners where they can follow you and just social media online and just how they can find out more about you? Yes. Um, and thank you for having me on. This is such a I like talking to you guys. You're yeah. so kind. <laughs> hey, we can talk more. I want to know more. <laughs> I mean, listen, I have a lot of words about sex. <laughs> um, but yes, y'all, listeners can find me at Dr. Celeste Holbrook on all the social media handles. And you can go to drcelesteholbrook.com and there's resources there for you. So download that um, yeah. 20 questions. Download, mm-hmm. I have a, a blueprint a blueprint for finding the perfect amount of sex, which is my number one question. <laughs> um, oh. And you can uh, schedule a discovery call. That's 30 minutes of me and you chatting about what's going on and seeing if I can provide you with some resources. And that's just free. So anybody can schedule a discovery call yeah. for 30 minutes. Um, so you can do all that at my website and I teach some courses and I have classes every month on different topics like this month is let me look this month is kink so you know okay (laughs) all kinds of stuff yeah nice so (laughs) a lot of fun stuff going on and I'd be very very um delighted to help any of your listeners wonderful well thank you so much Celeste for taking time out of your day to chat with us and I know our listeners are going to love hearing um your story and your advice and just talking about sex. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. All right. Take care. Mm-hmm.